Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Father, I pray right now that you would give your children the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We want to have a spirit of revelation and of wisdom about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he is doing and what he's going to do. Because our life should be that focus of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The answer is always Jesus. If you're feeling down, the answer is Jesus. If you need to have a friend, the answer is Jesus. I have a friend, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you know, there could be an app or something, let me know and I'll tell you how to get one, what to do. I think it's really important to look at the Word of God as we are you know, taking in what Jesus is saying to us. We are now up to John chapter 12, and we're going to go from verse 1 to 11. And there is a change that takes place in the Gospel of John right now. Leading up to those previous 11 chapters, covered the three years of Jesus' ministry. 11 chapters, three years. The next 10 chapters, from 12 to 21, it focuses on one week in the life of Jesus. That's a big change. And it's almost like there's this big rush that Jesus wants to get this information to his disciples. If you have a, you know, one of these good old-fashioned ones, if you open it and it's got the red writing, you would be absolutely amazed at the amount of red writing because Jesus is it's almost like I've got to tell them what's going to take place for them in the future I need to get that word out and that's what he does 10 chapters one week in the life of Jesus so let's recap as we read up to that moment Lazarus has been raised from the dead amen Jesus declared that he is the resurrection and the life And then he goes to a village in Ephraim and he hangs out there. And he goes there for about two to three weeks, the commentators say. But then something takes place. He moves back into Bethany. And this is his last life week. That's it. If you had one week to live, what would you do? Would you play all the great golf courses on the world? Would you go diving with sharks? Would you go bicycle riding? Would you go to every great restaurant? What would you do? Just a question. I think you probably worked out what I would do. Maybe, maybe not. Let's read the first part of John chapter 1. Six days before the Passover celebration... Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. Wow, what an opening line. Incredible. 
Today, even today, if you go and ask someone in Israel, where is the town of Bethany? This is their response. Oh, Bethany. Do you mean the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? That's their instant response today. An incident that took place over 2,000 years ago. Oh, Bethany, that's the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The impact of the last public miracle that Jesus did is still remembered today, even by those who do not believe in him. Amazing. Incredible. So Jesus goes to Lazarus' home, the guy he raised from the dead, and Jesus knew that he would soon experience death. He knew he was going to a place where there would be the scourging of his body. He would be ridiculed and mocked. He would be beaten, thrown down upon a cross. His hands would be nailed, his feet nailed, A spear would be shoved in his side and crowns of thorns shoved on his head. Jesus was well aware of what would take place because of the book of Isaiah. And he is with Lazarus. He is with a guy who has gone through death and come back on the other side. I think that's why Jesus went to be with Lazarus to hang out with him who had been through what he was about to go through. It's good to hang around people who have gone through something that you are going through. So they can encourage you, inspire you and say, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. I wonder what the conversation would be like with those people around Lazarus and Jesus. I mean, if I was there, I would say, Lazarus, Tell me just one more time, what actually happened? What was it like? What did you see? What's on the other side? Do you know that people are interested in what is on the other side because they understand their mortality? What's on the other side? And Lazarus would go something like this. He'd go, well, I was at home with Martha and Mary and I ate something and I went oh that's horrible then all of a sudden the lights have gone out I didn't realize it but I was dead have you ever realized something and not realized what's happened he said then you're not going to believe this and they say yes we are going to believe this because we are because we are yes I'm going to believe it. He said, I was lying down on my back and I heard something. And it was Jesus saying, Lazarus, come out. Then all of a sudden, I could feel like I was moving, like levitating, you know, like, you know, like in the movies, you know, like I'm, we're going back 2,000 years ago, so there's no movies, all right? You're supposed to laugh at that point. I was like levitating, you know, like in the movies. Oh, you're slow, but you're worth waiting for, all right? And then all of a sudden, I come out, and it's really bright, but my eyes are coming. And then they started to unwrap me like a Christmas tree. Ha ha, there's no Christmas tree. They unwrap him, and there I see Jesus 
and the sisters. And everyone's jumping up and down. It's so exciting. That's what happened in that moment. Imagine Jesus sitting there. Someone just got it. Imagine Jesus sitting there, listening to the story of Lazarus. And he's about to go through that. Jesus is with an ex-dead man. The first ex-man. The first ex-dead man. That took me ages to think of that, all right? I've got to tell you. Anyway, that's not important right now. As amazing as that it would have been. But if there's one thing that people are intrigued about is what's on the other side. Seriously. I don't know what took place. It's not recorded. It doesn't say what Lazarus seen or heard. But I know this. Lazarus would have said to Jesus, he's the resurrection and the life. He's the son of God, the Messiah. And that's what I believe. Second verse. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. There's this dinner. And Martha does what she does best. She's serving. Everyone, big round of applause, please. Go. Clap. Come on. A bit louder than that. A big thank you to everyone who serves in church. Amen. Martha's serving. She's doing what she's doing. Whatever the gift that God has given you, you do what you do and enjoy it. She's serving and she's serving dinner. But who is it in honor of the guy who came from, back from the dead? No, it's in honor of Jesus who brought the man back from the dead. So everyone is sitting down. The meal is being cooked. There's that wonderful aroma of lamb in a stew. You know, it's like when you go to someone's house and you can cook it. I mean, Pavey makes the best lasagna, best carbonara, best steak, best baked beans in the world. That aroma, it just moves through the house. My mouth starts to water. And that's what was happening. They're all sitting down and Martha's doing her thing. She's cooking. But then all of a sudden, Mary goes behind a curtain and she brings something out of great expense. It's an alabaster jar. And they all know what an alabaster jar is. This is what an alabaster jar looks like. This jar is 2,500 years old in a a museum in Canaan. 2,500 years old. That's what she brought out at that moment as she comes perhaps from behind a curtain. It's 12 ounces that's held in there, 345 milliliters. And people are looking at her and they don't know what is happening. And it's a jar full of something special. It's called nard. And nard comes from a plant called a spike nard. 
Here's a picture of it, just so you can see. Now that little plant actually grow, can grow up to a meter tall. It's about that, that tall. And on it are these beautiful little flowers, sometimes pink and sometimes white. And they're just, it's just a beautiful plant. It grows in the Himalayas and particularly in Nepal. It grows only at an elevation between 3,000 and 5,000 meters in a desert-like type of situation. Desolate places, rocky places. But here's the interesting thing, that the perfume from the spikenard plant doesn't come from those beautiful flowers. It actually comes from this. It comes from the root of the plant. And they pull the plant out and they smash and they break up the root and they squeeze the life out of it. Spikenard is now an endangered plant on our planet. Endangered. Because it's being over-harvested. It's incredibly expensive. There's just that little container there. Now, because I know that you are really interested in things, I sought out spikenard. And this is five milliliters of pure nard. It costs $75 for that. Extremely expensive. This is one of two bottles that I could find in Brisbane. That's it. Wouldn't it be interesting to see what it smelt like? Well, at this moment, Pavy and Christina are going to put on some burning incense that it's nard. Now, if you're very sensitive, please be aware, we are just going to let it float through the auditorium. It has an, an unusual smell to it. It's not sweetly, it's not sick, it's, it's unusual, but it's so important. So as that's happening, we hope, you'll smell exactly what they smelt at that moment. And Mary took this 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and she began to do something that was quite unusual. Can you smell it? Wait for it. Is it working over there? <laughs> I didn't know if it would work, but it worked. She does something incredible that shows great humility. She anoints the feet of Jesus with it. And that in itself is very bizarre. Because you see, anointing was actually done on the head, not on the feet. And the anointing of the head was to show honor, to represent healing and to show consecration. You know, in Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, He anoints my head with oil. 
when Queen Elizabeth, when she went through her coronation, her head was anointed with special oil. I wonder if it was not. Mary humbles herself. She gets down on her knees and anoints his feet with oil. Do you know what is missing in today, I think, just a little bit? It's humility. Honest humility. You know, we live in a very I-focused world now. Look what I'm doing. Look what I've got. Look, look at I. I received an email as I was preparing this message in the previous week. And it started like this. And this person was self-promoting. They were lifting themselves up. And they started it like this. I am. And I stopped in my tracks instantly. And I thought, there is only one I am. And it kind of like shocked me. I am trying to elevate themselves to the same level as God. So the next day I started to write an email and I started, I am. And I stopped myself and I deleted it. And I wrote, I think, rather than I am. Colossians 3 verse 12 says this, we are to clothe ourselves with humility, something that we should put on so that humility can be seen. Titus 3.2 says, show true humility to everyone. Why true humility? Because there's false humility. Ever met someone where there's been false humility? Show true humility. 1 Peter 5.5 says this, we are to dress ourselves with humility as we relate to one another. As our conversation is taking place with one another, there should be humility. And the greatest definition that I have ever found about humility is this. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less often. Less often. So when we are around and we're talking with each other, we should be interested in the other person rather than interested in my experience and what I have done and what I am about to do. And Mary at that moment with that jar of nard that was a year's wage, a year's wage. She probably set that aside maybe for when she got older or if something happens and someone gets sick. She takes that and in that moment, she is thinking of herself less. She's thinking about him. And she took herself completely out of the picture and poured it on his feet. She didn't think, well, if I do this for Jesus, maybe Jesus will do something for me. Wow. True humility. True humility thinks less of self. Not to the point of that you're nothing, 
but to rightly consider what you are and who you are, made in the image of God. And then as that nard is on his feet and is obviously dropping to the ground, she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. And in that room, at that dinner, where there would have been a lot of people, some of them would have went, (gasps) What? Did you see what she did? Because you see, in their culture at that time, a young maiden would have her hair flowing. But when she got married, she would bind her hair up and she would never loose it in a public situation. Because if she did, it was a sign that she was an immoral woman. And as she is down on her knees, wiping the nard on his feet, anointing him, she begins to dry his feet with her hair. And people are shocked because they know who she is and what she's done. But you know what happens? Jesus does not even flinch. He doesn't respond. He doesn't go, oh my goodness. He knew. But it doesn't matter what we have done because he loves us so much. Jesus knows our past and he doesn't flinch. It doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you regardless. His love is greater than your sin. His love is greater than your sin. And friend, that is our example of how to love. To love someone greater than their sin or what they've done. It's to push back the boundaries of our own thinking, but to love. And I'm grateful that God loves me more than my sin. And the house was filled with the fragrance. Mary had a big heart. Big heart. Forgiven much, loved much. A big heart. But with this great act of expense and humility comes a great objection. And remember that, folks. When you start to do something that costs you and you're moving in a realm that's thinking of others, there will be an objection, a great objection. This is what it says. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume's worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. For the guys that were with me last night, there's a statement. There's a statement. Look at verse 6. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples, look at that, the disciples, the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. You know, when people are negative, when other people are doing acts of greatness, of humility and expense, 
When people are negative towards that, it's because they're focusing on what they have personally lost, not what is personally gained. If someone gets something you want, are you really happy for them? I mean, are you really happy for them? I mean, last night when we were at the men's conference, they had a competition and they asked all these very bizarre questions about what is the longest, the shortest time of a, a marathon? Who is the lead, you know, it's a guy's type of thing. Who's the lead uh, F1, Formula F1 type of driver? And I'm going, no, I don't know, I don't know. And Randall's going, psh, psh, Pastor Randall's writing all these down. And how many seconds in a, you know, in a day? Well, they had the countdown. Everyone put your hand up who got one. So we all put our hand up. Keep your hand up if you've got two. I thought, oh, I better keep my hand up because otherwise people think I'm really stupid. So I kept my hand up. Three, put my hand down. Four, hands are going down. Five, hands are going down. Six, hands are going down. Pastor Randall still got his hand up. Seven, put your hand down. Eight, Pastor Randall got eight. There was him and another guy with eight. Put your hand down if you get nine. They both put their hand down. There was a prize to be won. And the competitive side of Pastor Randall came out just like that. And they had a showdown. They stood face to face and glared at each other in their eyes. And then Pastor Randall went, make my day. And they did rocks, paper and scissors. And he lost the first round. Thank you for that response. That was brilliant. Second round, Pastor Randall goes, well, if he'd done that, he's going to do this. Pastor Randall won the second round. And as beads of sweat were on his forehead, running down, glaring at each other, and with an intensity, they did rocks, paper, scissors, and he won! Now, I can't remember what was the point of that. No, we've gone past humility. Oh, that's right. You've got to be happy for when someone else wins. And all of the guys that were there last night, we were all going, yay! Because we were happy for him to win. Never be unhappy for someone that you know when they're winning. Always be happy for them. Look at this guy. That money should have been sold and should have been given to the poor. He didn't care about the poor, he cared about himself. Two different responses in that setting. One who freely gives out of expense and humility, and the other one responds out of greed and arrogance. Judas had a hard heart. Mary has a big heart, a generous heart. I know which one I want to be. That's the first one, in case you're guessing. I want to have a big, generous heart. Here is something, here is something to think about. Jesus trusted Judas. Jesus trusted Judas. Jesus knew Jesus was stealing from him. Jesus knew... Jesus knew Judas, and he was stealing from them. Not Jesus, but Judas. 
Oh, give me a break. It's been a big week, all right? But Jesus knew that Judas was stealing, not just from him, but from the disciples. If you go to John chapter 6, verse 20, uh, 70, it says this. It says, there is a devil amongst us. And Jesus knew. John 6, verse 70. I reckon when Jesus said that, Judas said, right, you guys, which one of you is the devil? Come on, come clean. You ever notice when you're pointing at someone, there's always what? Three pointing back at you. Confirmation, confirmation, confirmation. I'll personalize it for you. Jesus believes the best in me even when I'm at my worst. And Jesus believes in the best of you even when you're at your worst because he loves us. Now, there are always consequences to bad behavior. I'm not writing that out at all. But how cool is Jesus? He believes the best in me even at my worst because he loves me and cares for me. And I can imagine Mary sitting down there and she's pouring that out and she's really pouring out her her heart and her life because I believe she had a revelation of what was going to take place in the next week, that he was going to die, he was going to go. But after a great objection comes the great rebuke and Jesus replies, leave her alone, just leave her alone. Sometimes you've got to step up for people. Just say, leave them alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Here's the deal. In the rebuke, Jesus will speak for you. Mary didn't defend herself. She was serving Jesus. And if you serve Jesus, he will defend you. He will stand up for you. He will make it right. You don't have to shout and scream and carry on. If you are living and serving for Jesus, he will defend you. We've been involved in ministry for over 30 years. And there have been people at times who have said some unsavory and unkind things about us and to us. And sometimes they're true. But a lot of the times, they're not true. And we've always felt that we don't respond out of that. But there was this one time that was really uncalled for. And it was totally unnecessary. And so I went to a senior minister. And I told him the story. And he just kind of like, just shook his head. I mean, we're going back 20 years ago. Because, you know, when people say things, it hurts. It just hurts. And he said this to us, and we have never forgotten it. Truth lives, lies die. Truth lives, lies die. And it may take many a year to prove the truth, but Jesus will defend you if you're serving him. And keep your head up high and don't respond. Don't worry about it. He will defend you and he will come through. If you are living for him, he will. 
And Jesus stepped into that situation and said, leave her alone. Just leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you'll not always have me. And when all the people, next verse, verse 9, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them, the priests, and believed in Jesus. Can I give you a quick, funny observation? Let's read that again. Verse 10, the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus. They're going to kill a guy who just came back from the dead and he's with the guy who raised him from the dead. How dumb can you be and still breathe? The last guy on the face of the earth that I would try and kill is a guy who's come back from the dead and who's with the guy who gave him life to come back from the dead. That's nuts. But that's what happens to religious people. You try and kill a dead man who's come back to life and his friend who brought him back from the dead is there. How are you going to live? Are you going to live with a big heart or are you going to live with a hard heart? Are you going to live by giving and in humility or by arrogance and meanness and stinginess in your heart? That's your choice. That is what's so amazing about this. A year's wage she gave because she loved. You know, I've been praying over this portion of Scripture because I couldn't get this out of my mind. Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Here is the bizarre thing about this. They would anoint the body after the death, not before the death. Jesus was prepared to die. And I said, Lord, what, what is this here for us to understand? And I felt like the Spirit of God is saying, I want you to pray for the people and I want you to anoint them with oil so that they can get ready to die. Die to the things that hold them back. Finally put to death the misdeeds of the body. Be anointed and get rid of that stuff out of your life. Not literal death, obviously, but those things that we must bury. And I believe that God wants us to be anointed this morning to make that decision to put it to death. Whether it's arrogance, whether it's pride, whether it's that private sin that you have, whatever it is, put it to death. Put it, put it to death. Just say, Lord... From this day forward, I'm going to be anointed and I'm going to bury that thing that God doesn't want us to have. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. 
God bless and have a great day.